When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listening to the Career Musician Podcast with creator and host Nomad. With 20 plus years of experience in the music industry, Nomad has done just about everything to earn a living as a career musician. From being music director to celebrity artists, playing iconic arenas and stadiums, composing for film and TV, and even playing your average local club gigs, he's done it all. Nomad's mission is to empower musicians across the globe with strategies for a sustainable career while blasting stereotypes and to bring you tried and true wisdom from his colleagues in this crazy business we call music. On this episode of the Career Musician Podcast, we have production and lighting designer, production manager, and show producer, Mr. Chris Lyle. Chris and I met years ago while working together with Babyface, and his list of credits include Robert Plant, Jason Aldean, Miranda Lambert, One Republic, Dave Cos, Danny Gokey, Sugarland, Billy Currington, Peter Frampton, Nick Carter, Chris Young, Jennifer Nettles, Keith Urban, Leanne Rimes, Leanne Womack, and many, many more. In addition, Chris is a co-founder along with Eric Parker of their nonprofit organization, Touring Career Workshop, which hosts an annual workshop conference which provides aspiring crew members with various resources to help them pursue their careers. With almost 30 years of experience under his belt, Chris definitely shares some insightful career info in this episode of the Career Musician Podcast. Chris Lyle, welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. Dude, thanks for having me. This is like totally exciting. I'm honored a musician wants me on their podcast. Like, this is cool. Uh, Well, look, I always say that, you know, the crew is part of the band because, look, you know, we can't do it without you guys. That's that's true. Have you ever seen a bunch of musicians go on stage and bump into each other and running around in circles? Not pretty. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, this is good, man. We we had many uh, years touring together, and, and uh, this is so awesome that you've got this this show, and I'm honored to be a part of it. Oh, man, thank you so much. So, yeah, uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar, Chris and I know each other from working with Babyface. As you know very well, man, uh, you don't get many gigs off paper resumes. It's all who you know and connections. And uh, and that's one of those opportunities that I was very thankful to be connected to Richie. And, and when he knew that Babyface was looking for a lighting director, um, you know, I got that call and it was a, that was fun. Man, absolutely. That is so true, what you just said. You don't get many gigs from a paper resume. You know, it's funny because all of the studying that we do, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big uh, proponent for education and all that, it, it almost like you have to learn all that, ingest it, digest it, and then forget about it, yep. <laughs> right? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> it just doesn't go that way in real life. No, it doesn't. I mean, look, and, and, and I taught college here in town briefly. I taught a class on touring and I always told people, you know, finish, you, you've spent the money, you've spent the time, finish, get your degree. Getting your degree is important, but be ready to relearn when you get in the real world because we're such a hands-on industry. You know, as a young person, you could have taken guitar lessons from 10 different people, but until you picked it up yourself and crafted your style, that's how you discovered what made you who you are. And the same thing with crew, the way a sound engineer mixes it's not about somebody teaching them, but about them digging into a console or the way a PA sounds. Same thing with the lighting director. What works color-wise and moods for songs? you got to figure it out during, on your own path. That's right. And you know what? That's a good segue. Do you, when you're designing a show, and which I want to go into in, in detail uh, because your designs are amazing, uh, when you're doing that, how, what's your process like? Do you sit with the artist's music for a day, a week, a month? And, and you know, do you, do you write things out? I mean, how... Boy, tell us, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the amount of lead time I spend on designing a tour depends really on the size of the tour. For, for an arena, we like to be six to nine months out, if not even a year in some cases. That's a little more rare. But if you get into the club level tour, you're planning just months out. Um, so I like to, I like to uh, you know, have as much lead time as I can. But I'm initially meeting with anybody from the artists themselves to their manager, to their tour manager, production manager, or a combination of those people. And generally in those meetings, we're talking a lot of the very basic common sense thing you would think about. We're talking about budgets, you know, what we want to spend on this tour, how many trucks it needs to fit into. But then we also start to dive into what is the artist's vision? What kind of feel do they want? And, right. and in my career, man, I've been 30 years in now, and I, I think it's about 50-50 in terms of how many artists want to be involved in that aspect of their show versus here, I trust you, you go make it happen. But I always try to ask questions. I ask the artist or manager, like, who are you listening to right now? Or who, who, what show have you been watching a DVD of or YouTube in their videos? Like, and why did you like that show? Trying to get in their head of to what they're into right now, visually, you know, in terms of colors and video elements and scenic and props and um and then i just kind of take those keywords you know i gather these keywords you know i've sat with artists and they've said a keyword like i want it to feel industrial or i want it to feel shiny i want it to feel slick and then i go and yeah i start playing some of their records um and and just try to see what comes to mind you know sometimes a little whiskey helps Hey, amen, dude. I love that you said that. I'm a huge whiskey, bourbon, scotch guy. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. And yeah, so we just try to uh, come up with some creative ideas. I put those all on, a pa on paper. I've got a, a special program where I design everything and then start getting those drawings in front of the artist and management team. And it's usually a couple back and forth of, I like this, I don't like this, change this. And then we land on the product. And start, wow. you know, yeah, going to, to bid and budgeting and all that fun stuff. 
that, that's an amazing process. You're, it's much like a, a, a record producer. You know, you, you're going in, you're trying to pull the best out of the musicians in the band, the best performance, and then you're pulling the best performance out of the vocalist. But you're also bouncing all of those elements, uh, you know, uh, with ma management. You have to make sure management and the artist like the direction, right? Right. But, but you have to keep in mind budget, that you don't go over budget, you know, all these things that you're juggling. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the other trick, man, and, and I don't know if musicians deal with this a lot, but we try, it's so hard to try not to copy something that's been done. You know, when I design a show, it's like you want to do something creative, but there's so much out there and you want to make sure you're not copying the, the look, you know, the way the stage is designed. And, you know, you try to, you want to give the whole thing is you want to give that audience a unique evening, man. Some people, you know, I always, and I mean, this is going to sound sappy, but I, I mean, what I'm about to say is I take it to heart that when people come to a show, they are. They may have saved for months and sacrificed eating out and some things just to be there that night. And that night is important to people. And so I want people leaving that venue having the best experience they can from my side of things. I can't. I can't. I can't help you with the artist performance or if the band was a little off. But I can make the show. Show. Make sure the show looks good. And I take that seriously. That's right. Well, as we all do, and, and well, as we all should. Hopefully, we all do. Uh, we all should. And sometimes when you're on, especially if you're out for an extended period of time, sometimes it's easy to take that for granted. Absolutely. Uh, like I always say, the rigors of the road can wear you down, right? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. So that's a good point that you bring up. Yeah. And you touched on a subject that's dear to my heart is, you know, the personal side of, of our industry, you know, the, and you said it spot on the rigors of the road, man, this industry is brutal. And, and look, I'm an open book. I'll tell you straight up. I'm, I'm on my third marriage. Now this marriage, I feel really good about. I love her. It's just awesome. But man, the, the, it, look, I'm, I'm 48 years old and I've, I've got two ex-wives. I'm not proud of that, but it's hard, man. Hard. It's, it it's is. Hard. It, well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and second of all, you look great, and we are the same age. I didn't realize we were both born in 72 then. It's a great year. Absolutely. Indeed, indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So, okay, one of the cool things I remember about working with you is that you were also, in this particular case, you were also the production manager. So you were PM slash LD. Absolutely. Uh, production manager, lighting director. Um, Correct. Did you hold, at that time, were you doing stage management too? I mean, you, or tour management, you were holding a lot of positions. <laughs> I was the team maker. I can remember that. That was fun. But <laughs> right. uh, I was a production manager in LD and, you know, um, on, on a size, you know, Babyface was a great tour. And as you know very well, such a great man and right. a great community and people around him. But, um, you know, that kind of tour doesn't have the budget for an, ex an, uh, an exorbitant crew. We can't carry 40 people on the road. Right. So a lot of times in those cases, we're wearing multiple hats. Right. And as I came up in the industry, I figured out pretty quick that if I wanted to stay busy and work, learn learn a couple different trades or learn how to make the best use of yourself. You know, as a lighting director, I'm most useful on show day, making sure the show looks good. But a production manager, if I can take on that role, I'm going to get paid a little more and I'm going to be working on the advanced side of the show. I'm going to be talking to promoters in advance and I'm going to stay busy more and more and more. So now I've got this whole big career thing. Bro, it's what I always preach. Be as versatile as possible and take initiative for crying out loud, right? Absolutely. Don't just sit there and be like, well, that's not my job. That's so-and-so. You know, No, man. If you see a hole that needs to be filled, an opportunity that needs to be met, take initiative, right? 
Absolutely. You know, we are all our own businesses. You're your own business. I'm my own business. Therefore, you're your own marketing department, your own HR department. You're your own everything. So that means you're in charge of getting your next gig. You don't rely on somebody else. And so you got to hustle, man. And part of that hustle for crew people is, you know, where can I be of value and how can I keep income rolling in even when the artist isn't on the road? You know, so man, it's just discovering that little trick can be life-changing in this business. Now, once you, once you became aware of that, did you, how did you prepare to learn how to be a production manager? And, and let's talk about some of the variables that are involved in that because, you know, that's not an easy job. Right. Yeah, you know, and for the, for, the, for the viewers that may not be fully aware, so the production manager on a tour is going to be uh, responsible for advancing and overseeing anything technical involved with the show, making sure that sound, lights, video, trucking, stage, crew, equipment, all that is planned for, accounted for, and is, it, it, you're going to have the smoothest show day you can. And with that role, you're doing a lot of advanced work. So it's not just walking into a venue on show day, looking up and going, okay, we're going to do a show. No, <laughs> it's talking to the venues and promoters weeks, if not months in advance, especially with baby faces. We did so much international work. I was spending months talking to people, but right. uh, it's a very busy role. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, um, it, it is stressful at times. I mean, you've got a lot on you, but again, if you want to hustle and, and get ahead, man, it's just a hat I was happy to wear, you know? Did you, did you have any production manager friends that you kind of shadowed or did you just pick their brains a lot? You know, that's a great question. You know, I came up in, a, in an interesting era in the, in the business in my world. Right now, everything we do is digital, uh, especially in production. Everything's digital. But I came up in a very analog environment. And so in the production manager world, that means that there was a lot of fax machines and phone calls, whereas now it's all emails and forms and, and text messages. You, you don't communicate as much. So early on, uh, man, it was, it was a lot of uh, jumping into the fire and just learning how to do it, but also having some great mentors, watching people. And as a lighting director, knowing that I wanted to production manage some too, watching the PM on the tours I was on and going, I like the way they do that. I like their communication skills. They're organized. They're a leader. You've got to be a leader in that role. And, and absorbing that, but also making my mistakes, you know, um, learning why you do and don't do certain things certain ways and having errors. And then, of course, building off your errors and, and doing it better next time. Dude, you said so much good stuff there that we have to unpack. OK, <laughs> first of all, let me, let me try to work backwards. Okay. Um, you just mentioned being a leader that, you know, <sighs> Let's talk about that because and, and I, I'm so glad. And then you also said that we all have our own small businesses. So true. We're doing our own marketing. We're doing our own uh, uh, soliciting of work. We're, we're doing our own research and, and, and development, all these things. Uh, but being a leader, when you have your own small business, you don't go to small business music school or small business crew school and be like, oh, yeah, now I know everything. <laughs> like we said, right. you can help. You can learn a lot of stuff when you go to those kind of schools. And it's Absolutely. Great but you don't have the real field experience yet. Correct. How did you develop into a, a, a competent and successful leader? Because that's something that I, it's, you know, I had to develop into that too. It takes time. Yeah. You know, um, it's about, again, you know, proving to the, to your peers, especially as, as a production manager, the crew around you that is technically under you, that you are competent, um, that you will have their back. And that you can pull off this show. And, and again, it's just, it's just trials and tribulations. It's learning what works and what doesn't work. And just having that confidence to walk in, to own a room, to own a phone call. So 
you know, as I'm talking to a promoter, not letting people run you over. When I'm advancing for Babyface, he's an icon in this industry. He deserves what we are contracted for, not letting promoters run over you and just being confident in who you are. I love that. I love t- taking control, man. That's, and you don't want it to, I always say there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance, right? Absolutely. You don't want to walk in the room and be like, all right, motherfuckers, I'm here. This is how it's going to go. <laughs> that doesn't work, man. That doesn't work. <laughs> no. No, it's fun to watch, but it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, because it's going to blow up, right? Yeah. It, it does, man. <laughs> you know, it's not that I want to be buddy-buddy on my crew, and there, there's definitely pe- people I've toured with that are some of my best friends in the world. As you know, that's what happens happens on tour, but you know, you can't walk into a room as a dick. I mean, again, I'm representing, we're all representing the artist. Their name is on that marquee, not Chris Lyles. And if I'm pissing off promoters and the people that hire that artist to do shows, it's hurting me. It's not only hurting the artist, which sucks because they're great, but it's hurting my peers. It's hurting the people that need this gig. So going in and being confident and firm, but likable. Yes. That likability factor. All right. Wow. That is so good. Such good stuff. All right. And then Earl, going, going even further back into that first uh, bout of that conversation, uh, you became a lighting director. Was there a point in your life that you said, oh, my God, look at those freaking lights. I got to do that for a living. <laughs> you know, like, how did that happen? Dude, I mean, that's that's one of those crazy stories that I'm going to try to condense. But, you know, I uh, grew up here in Nashville, which is, is, is not many of us that are in this industry that yeah. grew up here now. Not You're an many. anomaly. Yeah, yeah. It is. It really is. And um, so, man, I tried college. I literally went for a semester. I was going to go into advertising. And, you know, it just it wasn't for me. I just knew I was wasting my money. And I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. How can you be, you know, again, some people have a plan, but I didn't. I went to college and I partied. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was wasting my time and my money. So I ended up getting a job delivering like pizzas and, 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 and met some musicians who um, I just started hanging out with musicians and going to the clubs here in town. Yeah. And, you know, eventually one of these musicians was like, Hey, I'm going to go do these shows in California. Do you want to come run lights? I'm like, dude, I don't know anything about lights, but I love music. I love travel and I love creativity. I said, I'll go learn. And I literally went and volunteered. I worked for free at a little lighting shop here in town and just got my hands dirty. And just how, what does this do? Why does it work this way? And why do we do this? And spent weeks asking the right questions and went on the road with this artist. And man, um, and this was 1991. And I'll never forget, this was a life-changing spiritual moment for me. But we, we drove out west in a, a, a little truck with our gear and a car. And it was my turn to drive the car. And we were coming back from this run of shows. And it was my turn to drive. It was 5.30 in the morning, driving across Wyoming. And the sun is rising in front of me. And I get emotional talking about this. Beautiful. But I just remember having this iconic, this just revelation, like this right here, as tired as I was and it, but it was what I want to do the rest of my life. That's right. And I went home and told my parents, and they were like, oh, boy. <laughs> How old were you then, uh, roughly? I, I would have been, uh, I mean, I would have been 19. Oh, wow, yeah. So you were yeah. a baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I couldn't even drink in the bars with the guys. So. Right. But, but, man, I knew I wanted to do it because, again, travel, music, and creativity. I wasn't a musician, per se, but I loved music, and I loved travel, and I loved art and creativity. I was like, this career blends these things I love. Like, I want to do this. 
Yeah, well, you're a visual artist, period. I mean, you are a visual artist. Without sounding arrogant, yes. We, yes. we have to paint a picture around a performance. That's right. I want the audience not only to hear the words, but to feel something. Yes. And colors, colors bring that out, you know, the blues and purples and reds. And there's things that happen to us visually. And when we see something visually, it stirs up emotion when we hear those words accented with those moments. So true. You know, there's a trend right now going on in, in everybody's home studios, especially. If you just scroll through some social media feeds, you'll see everybody's home studios has splashes of blue and purple and pink, including mine. And it's yep. so funny. When I did it, when I first did it, I was like, wow, I shut off all my bright work lights and I just turned on the mood lights. Bro, I became so creative, like instant is crazy, you know? So, right? I mean, I can, I can, that, you know, that's testament to the fact that you're, 100% accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know, too, it's a fine line because with the exception of EDM music where the lights and the visuals are a big part of that performance, right. any other time we really don't want to distract from the artist and their show, but enhance and, and complement. And so try not to be the, I'm not front making these lights blind the audience unless it's, there's a, it's called for. And, and that's just something you have to, you learn as you go, you right. know, um, Right. Okay. So you know what? Something else I could relate to. I love how you said your the, the picture you just set the scene. You're driving through Wyoming at 5:30 a.m. The sun is coming up over the ridge, and you, you you know you just get so emotional thinking about it. I feel the same way. I don't like the again the rigors of traveling. In fact, I hate flying. Even when there's not a pandemic, I just don't like flying. Sure. Uh, I like driving, but I'm not really good at long distances. I do, but I do like this. I like the fact that we can wake up in one city and 24 hours later be in another and 24 hours later be in another. And we're getting to experience life as it is in real time in all of these different places around the globe. Yes. That in itself, right, is kind of a like, wow, that's, that's a hard thing to really wrap your mind around, right? There, there's so many, to your point, there's so many little nuances of our industries that people don't realize that you got to keep in mind, let's take a, a, a tour like a Taylor Swift that might roll into a town with 24 to 30 semi-trucks. They're building an entire performance space in the matter of hours, 30 trucks. You're talking about stuff that is logistically challenging, but it just happens. It's like this very well-oiled machine, but um, to your point about travel, you know, it's all about those days off and that, that downtime too, you know, and that, this is, a, this is something not to, to get straight too off course and talking about spouses and relationships, but you know, a lot of times, especially as the crew, we're in a venue first thing in the morning, 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. And we're the last ones out of the venue, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And in some cases, if it's a busy arena-sized show, we never leave the venue. So even though I may be in Minneapolis, Detroit, Chicago, boom, 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 I may only see the inside of arenas. But if we get to those towns and get to have a day off and we go have a nice dinner and, and have some drinks, play some golf, whatever your thing is, that's those cool memories of, oh, I remember in Minneapolis, there's that killer steakhouse over on 6th, whatever it is. Right. And you gather those memories. But to, to the relationship point I was going to make, because crew people, we are in the venue so much, a lot of times the spouses back at home have this misconception that this is one big party for us. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and it can be this thing like, oh, you guys are, you know, getting drunk at 4, 4 p.m. and you got girls all over the bus or whatever it is. Right. And it's just not the case. You got a lot of really tired people just trying to pull off a show. Unless you were somebody like a super, super rock star in their heyday, that is just not happening. <laughs> no. 
no. But, you know, I mean, you know, sure, there, there is debauchery that has taken place within the music industry. We all know that. <laughs> but for those of us who, like I say, career musicians who actually are working and making a career of this, no, there's no time for that. That's, it's, 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 it's silly. I hate to, you know, belittle it, it but it it's just silly. Yeah. And, and you know what? In my 20s, 20-year-old Chris would have had a different conversation with me. <laughs> right. yeah. Then two wives later and in my 40s, I'm like, no, no. I want to sustain, brother. I want to right. go out in my 60s and have left a positive mark on this industry. And, and uh, wow. you're not going to do that by being drunk all day and, and shitty at your job. Indeed, my friend. Okay, you just said something that I wanted to shift again. Uh, logistics. I, first of all, I love that word. I'm a word guy. I love all these little, you know, unique words. Of course, I think we all have our favorite words, right? Sure. Logistics happens to be one of mine. <laughs> I probably misuse it more than I use it properly, but <laughs> gotcha. Anyway, I love the idea of the logistics. Like you said, a day in the life of Chris Lyle, the lighting director, pr- production manager. I mean. Like you said, you guys roll into his town. What 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 does that day in the life look like? What's that schedule? So at seven a.m. is that the is that the you know the arrival time or is that the the what do you call uh, unloading the trucks onto the dock? Like how does that all work? Yeah, I'll talk to you a little bit about that. So well, let's use the example for this. Let's use the example of an arena tour, maybe with six to eight semis, which is it, pre-pandemic was was a fair, good sized tour. Right. Um, you know, arriving at the venue is going to de- determine, be determined by how long our drive was the night before our routing. You know, the booking agents are booking the tour. And if we're going from Chicago to Louisville, that's a five hour drive. Right. Um, so we're getting to venues anywhere from, you know, 5 a.m. to literally 8 a.m. right when we typically would start loading in. Okay, well, hold on, um, hold on. I got to pause you because I bet you you know all the travel times of all these different cities throughout the United States. Far more than I should, brother. My heart. You're like, yeah, Chicago to Louisville. That's five hours. Atlanta yeah. to here. That's the thing. <laughs> okay. And, and that's why when I get routing from a, a booking agent, I'm like, oh, we're not going to make that. That's not good. So, yeah. You should have talked to me. But anyways, right, right. no, so we roll into the venue and the, some of the first people off the bus are our tour riggers you know a tour rigger for those that may not know are the ones that are in charge of making sure anything that's flown or hung uh, from the venue is safe and done correctly and to do their job they come in first to what do what we call marking out the points so they are taking chalk and writing on the floor of the venue where each motor goes that lifts up pa lighting video systems wow that's done first thing before anything else is out because we can't do anything until we have motors in the air and they can attach lighting and video and stuff to that so is there any kind of a standard that 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 makes sure that you know that gets mandated for safety uh dummy checks i mean i i I would love to tell you we have an industry protocol but there's a lot of great training programs and i would say of the tour riggers i know they're very very smart and they've been doing this a long time and are take their job seriously because again people die when they don't do their jobs right i actually know somebody who has lost their lives from that yeah and it's and and it sucks and you know accidents happen but uh no we 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 try to always get tour riggers that uh double and triple check and have people behind, come behind them and double and triple check. Okay. Like, is that chain hooked correctly to the venue girders and things like that? So, but man, uh, they're, and, and they're such an important part of the tour because it's tour safety uh, is, is always been a, a precedent. And, and as we go through, you know, things falling and mass shootings and pandemics, right. Right. it goes to a different level. I'm proud of our industry. I know we're segueing, but I'm very proud of our industry and what we're doing safety wise right now. 
No, absolutely. And I definitely want to focus on that. I, I want to kind of lead up to that. Uh, but by the way, do you carry your own riggers on the tour or, or do you use uh, guys in the local town, people in the local town? So it's going to be a mixture. When we talk about riggers and crew, we would carry with the tour a lead rigger, somebody that knows our system, knows exactly what we need, what's happening during the show, if things are moving and why motors need to go certain places. They are in charge of then directing local riggers, which on an eight-truck tour, we'd probably get 16 of those, 12 to 16 of those. Wow, that's a lot of people, man. That's a lot of people. But yeah. again, efficiency to get – a hundred motors deployed in two, two to three hours, you have to. Yes. You have to. Um, and so the riggers are starting to do that. The, uh, you know, 730, they're marking out the floor. We trip typically on an arena. We're starting to dump trucks at eight. So the crew has wandered in, uh, getting their coffee, their breakfast, all that. And then um, we basically start loading in production in by department that takes the longest. And that's typically going to be lighting. Lighting typically has the most components. So lighting trucks will dump first. And on an arena tour, you may have four, six, eight lighting crew people that tour with the tour. And then you're going to get, again, locals. Same thing with audio and video. You're going to get locals that are jumping in, helping, you gotcha. know, gotcha. kind of neck down people. As we say, like, here, plug this in, do this, do this. Right. H hands, as we call them, right? Like, hands. Correct. Hands. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. Okay. Yep, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're loading in lighting. And then depending on complexity, it's like video, audio, scenic, all kind of layers loaded in. And generally, uh, you know, you've got a stage manager on tour who's kind of gauging how things are going. You know, um, every venue is different in terms of how many trucks it can hold at the docks. And so they're kind of going, okay, uh, we're moving fast. I'm going to go ahead and get the next truck dump or they're going to be like, oh, lighting, you know, something happened. A, a motor broke and that just cost us 30 minutes. So we're going to hold off on audio. So there's a stage manager during this load-in process really policing things while the production manager's in the office doing bigger picture stuff. The stage manager's on the floor policing this load in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so generally we try to have most production up and done around one o'clock. Uh, by one o'clock, we will have want to have everything flown um, to the point where it's above head height because, you know, obviously we're going to have to take a, a lunch break um, for the crew. Um, but what we want to do is be able to allow the backline techs to come in after lunch to start getting their world set, you know, immediately after lunch. That's why midday, because as the music director, I would usually go in early and that's why midday you see the, um, what do you call them? The, the, ra the, the rafters, the, what do you, uh, the venue, the, the rafters or the, the, uh, the trusses? The trusses. The trusses. Yeah. You see the trusses half flown. Yeah. Like you said, they're probably about 10, 12 feet in the air. Yeah. And then you see the, uh, the backline guys being loading stuff on. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. we always keep the trusses low until we've seen everything on them work. And then we take them up. Like there's no sense in going 40 feet in the air and then finding out a light's broken. Get it above head height so people can do their job. If a light's broken, you bring it down just enough to get that light replaced. So that's what you've seen. Wow. Yeah. It's all about working smart and efficient. So when that truss is ready, up to the air and you're done. And so, okay. yeah. So after lunch, you're really focusing on making sure everything's getting tidied because you're going to start sound checks anywhere from 2 to 4 p.m. It just depends on how many acts are on the tour, if your artist actually sound checks you know, what their, what the protocol is. And it's, and you know, it's different for every tour. Some artists never show up a sound check. Some are, they take an hour every day and go through everything. That's right. My buddy who works with uh, Chicago says they never sound check. <laughs> yeah, never. exactly. Yeah. And it's just, and look, they've been doing this so long. They're, they've got it. I mean, it's Chicago. Right. Right? If you don't have it by now, go home. Yeah. Say, right. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, so we're, you know, after lunch, we're just we're making sure that sound checks can happen on time because as a production manager, as I'm laying out the schedule for the day, I'm always working backwards and I'm looking at, I'm looking at our show contract and I'm going, okay, doors are at six o'clock for a seven o'clock downbeat with our support act. So I know that everything has to be done hundred percent at six at six o'clock house music better be on. Um, so I start working backwards from there and go, okay, if we have three acts on the show, the last act will sound check from five to six, the middle act from four to five, and then that gives the headliner two to four. And I'm starting to layer all this in and to hit these deadlines. And of course that works us all the way back to what we've already talked about at load in. But again, you never want to have to hold doors. Um, that that's embarrassing. You know, things happen. We've, we've showed up late to venues cause it was a long drive or there was a wreck or mechanically things have happened, but um, you know, you never want to be your fault as a production manager or as a production. You want to make sure doors are open on time, that the two support bands or however many can play their full sets and that you can get out of there on time and make the next show. Because again, you know, the show runs from seven to 11, 11.30. You're taking all that down. Um, most arena loadouts are two and a half to three and a half hours. Wow. Getting it back in the trucks. So if you do the math, you're in bed at 2.30 or three in the morning. Okay, and, and I was just going to say that. Holy shit. I mean, I've always had, you know, such uh, a respect for you guys. It is crazy. And, you know, personally, it's so funny because doing this podcast, I get to talk to a lot of my friends that I've had over the years. If I've ever said or done anything to piss you off, please forgive me. <laughs> you are great to work with. Let me we just take this opportunity now. <laughs> oh, man, it was we, oh, we had fun. Man. Uh, you know, oh. speaking of the lack of sleep, and that is definitely falls under the rigors of the road. Do you have Do you have a personal mantra when shit hits the fan? <laughs> I hate saying it is what it is, but yeah. you know that's one that always comes to mind. Like sometimes shit just happens, man. It just right. does. You know, the same way a string on a guitar breaks when you're doing your solo. Right. A light breaks. A motor breaks. Things happen, man. But. There is such – touring crews are a very strong – most of them are a very strong, tight-knit organization. It's And I don't want to liken it to the military because my stepson's in the military, and I have a lot of respect for the military. But we're like a little unit, and we are very close. And we come in, and when shit's not going right, we get each other's back. That's that right. means if, if PA's having a problem, other departments are trying to do what they can to make their days easier. So as far as mantra, you know, it, it's just one of those things, you know, it's it, – it is what it is. If things, things are going to break, they are what they are, but you just dig in and you just get it. You just get it done and you make the show happen. That's the bottom line. Again, going back to my earlier point, people saved up to be there that night. That's that right. is their date night. That is their escape. And we're going to do everything in our power to give them that night. Hey, it's Chris Lyle. I'm a Nashville-based production manager and production designer, and you're listening to The Career Musician with Nomad. Blasting the stereotype of musicians. Follow us at the Career Musician Podcast. Being a career musician is more than just gigs and sessions. Are you a career musician? Find out on the Career Musician Podcast, streaming everywhere. That's right, man. So much respect for that. And you have worked with some of the biggest of the biggest names in the industry. Uh, I mean, everybody, you know, Robert Plant, Keith Urban, Miranda Lambert, One Republic, the list just literally, I mean, I would need a scroll 30 <laughs> feet long, you know. I mean, uh, so yeah, I want to liken that to um, one of my experiences. My first big, big tour, I had been touring from the late 90s 
uh, all the way up until I moved to LA. I was living in Nashville up until 2005. I moved to LA 2005 and I got the American Idols live tour. That was the year that Carrie Underwood won. So that was a big ass tour. And I can't remember for the life, I can, the production manager was Patrick. I can't remember his last name, but I had such a respect for that man because he, you know, he, was, he was stoic in nature, but yet still likable. Yep. And very militant, but, you know, always personable. Just so he had that right. perfect blend. And I used to love, again, as my first big giant arena tour, I really used to like, even though I wasn't the MD, I was just a guitar player. I would go in early and watch them work. Right. I mean, to see the logistics of all, like you said, all that coming together is just incredible to me. It blows my mind. It's a machine, man. It is. I mean, I've actually, you know, it's funny. I've seen fans that sit there and try to, you know, until they get kicked out by security. People try to sit there and watch Loadout because all of a sudden, you know, that last note's played, the artist is off stage, and then it's literally 200 people yes. send into an arena and it just, everything dissolves. It just starts to melt away. And, you know, it's fun to watch, man. I mean, it literally, everything has a place. Everything has an order. That's it's controlled right. chaos. It sure is. I love those time lapse videos, and you watch it and re- fast. You know, it's like, oh man, that's incredible. Absolutely. All right. So, um, look, the way the way we hooked up again, I was scrolling one day and I saw a post of yours, and you were talking about you know the pandemic and what a huge impact it's had on on the touring uh, culture. Uh, let's talk about that. And I believe you, you, you're part of an organization or something that's trying to bring awareness. So tell me all about that. Tell us. Tell yeah. Us. I mean, you know, obviously it, it, sometimes it feels weird to talk about it because this pandemic has literally affected every person in the entire world. Yes. You know, but you know, the reality of it is the, the live entertainment world, we were the first to shut down. We shut down in early March, um, abruptly, quickly, and we will be the last to return. And, because we are so many independent contractors and in small companies, it's it's hard to survive right now. I mean, I haven't had a show. I, I did work one little thing around the presidential debates here in, in Nashville, but past that, I haven't had a show since March. And I had in March, I had two employees and I had an office, and all that. You know, it just it goes away if you don't have income, you can't sustain that. And uh, so, man, we're def- this is, I tell you what, I've never seen our industry so tight. There are several organizations right now, and, um, uh, you know, that are just standing up right now to try to, uh, to, to get us more relief, you know, and, and, it, it, and people say, are you, are you guys just asking for handouts? It's like, no, we're asking to survive, right. you know, extended unemployment, man. People yes. survive all 250 a week or 225 a week, whatever it is here in town. Yeah. Um, for business owners like myself, another round of, PPP loans to help get employees back to work, to help us pay our bills. Um, you know, there's just, we just need that federal aid. And, and man, there's a lot of industry leaders. Michael Strickland is the owner of Bandit Lights. Um, he's been a huge advocate for our industry, but okay. there's several others that have just come through and that are literally working with Congress on a daily basis. Like you guys got to help us out here. And again, I'm not one to ask for a handout. Most of us are heads down, mouth shut kind of people. We just, we dig in and get the work done. And, and right now we're having to be vocal and seen and we're not used to that. And um, just trying to, trying to get through this time, man. But you know what? I'm, I'm the eternal optimist. And although I can't sit here today and give you a date and say next June, next July, whatever it is, we're going to be back to work. I'm 100% confident we will be back to work. I think that coming out of a pandemic, we are potentially going to see some of the busiest times we've ever seen in live entertainment. People are going to be starved for human connection. 
and um, and and to just get out there and, and see entertainment. And, and you know, I love streaming. I love the podcast. I love these drive-in shows. I love everything we've been able to do. But the bottom line is, when somebody goes to a show, like I was talking about date night a minute ago, yeah, it's about human to human connection. That's right. And, and we can't, you know, as much as I love you, and we and we spend time on the screen. It's not, you know what I'm saying? There's something about being there in person. That's what people, it's not just at people at shows seeing their artists, but it's, man, smelling that popcorn and tasting that beer and feeling that bass in your chest. Yeah, dude. You can't replace that on a stream. Oh, so, dude, you just gave me flashbacks of so many great festivals. Yeah. yeah. We're going to be back, man. We are. I just can't give you a day, but uh, I feel very confident we're going to be a busy industry again. Man, I, I really agree with that. You know, uh, Politics aside, I, 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 I make a, a distinct effort to not discuss that. Um, I am the same way. I believe that it's going to come back. Live entertainment is going to come back. The world is going to come back to normal. I choose to look at it in an optimistic manner because, you know, otherwise, what, what else do you have? And you know what? Call it foolish hope, but I call it optimism. Hey, it's going to come back, right? <laughs> Dude, you're spot on. And I love, I love that you have that outlook. And, and honestly, man, I, I had a phone call uh, the other day with somebody when this topic came up, but I'm, I'm really worried, you know, mental health is a big concern of mine. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about my nonprofit in a second, but yes, um, man, you know, we're, we're going into the holidays and spe- specifically for live entertainment, musicians, crew, we've been out of work now for nine months. You were coming into this time of year that people get lonely. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And like, man, I think we all need to be looking out for each other right now. You need to be checking in on your 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 friends that work in the live entertainment world, musicians, crews, bands, everybody, because this is a this is a tough time of year, man. And I think I do think that coming into 2021, we're gonna have this boost of optimism. I'm already feeling it. I think there's some very optimistic things, but getting through the next four weeks, man, I honestly it, it's weighing on me. Amen. Amen. That is so true. And you know what? When you say it like that, it's only four weeks, but boy, does it feel eternal, doesn't it? It's, it does. Especially this time of year, like you said. And, and we all know, you and I both know, plenty of single people who don't have a big family, like you said, who do get lonely because part of the their success in life has been living on the road, you know? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> And, and again, and as you know very well, man, when we're, when we're on the road, like I said a while ago, we are little families. When you're on a tour bus with 11 other people <laughs> you, and, and then you go into the, you, you work with them in the venue all day, then get back on the bus with them. They are literally love them, hate them. There's ups and downs, but that is your family. And you get really close to some people. And uh, again, you know, some of my best friends in this world uh, in fact, I think all of my best friends in this world are touring people. It just, that's the reality of it. It's people that I've, you know, we've been in the trenches together. And, and again, this time of year, you know, people haven't been working for a while. And, 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 you know, we've lost that camaraderie over the past nine months. We've lost some of that connection. And I just think it's important that we check up on each other. That's, I think that's my big pitch. for the. That, for the that's day. great. Let's use this as a prompt. So every, there you have it, everybody. Call all your friends in the biz. Check in, you know, on a regular basis. Stay in touch. And, and I couldn't help but chuckle when you said we become a family, like it or not, on that tour bus. Boy, I don't like tour bus. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I love it. And, you know, it's, it's like growing up with a bunch of brothers and sisters. You're like, oh, get away from me. Leave me alone. I want my space, right? Sure. Uh, and it, I'm always reminded of, you know, the tour bus rules, you know? Oh, yeah. I was always the first guy to be like, hey, 
No number two on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah, uh, bus life is. I think if I think it's either you love it or you hate it. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, we, we've been on those tours where the bus is. If if you have the right mix of personalities, it could be right. a lot of fun. You're right, a good bus driver. Yeah. Uh, but if you, you know, it's one of those things too. In such a confined space, you know, a bus is forty five feet long by eight feet wide. If you have one bad apple, one uh, one addict. One person takes their drinking too far. One asshole. It yeah. takes that whole vibe on that bus down, and then the whole camaraderie changes. Right. And uh, again, love it or hate it, it's still you're in the bus together, and you try to make the best of it. But man, I've been fortunate. Again, like you said, I've been on the buses with some great people and, and uh, some some dear friends, and I've had some pretty miserable rides too. Rough ones. Hey, have you ever been oil spotted? Me personally, no, uh, no, I've been, Same that, here. I, I pride myself on that. <laughs> so here's, here's the Chris Lau tip. So the, the, one of the number one reasons, well, there's two reasons being oil spotted that, that I, that I'm familiar with. Well, let's go three. You missed bus call the bus. You, you were late to bus call, which if you're on time, you're early. And if you're early, no, wait, wait. If you're, yep. yep. Did I have it right? If you're early, you're on time. And if, if you're, you're on, on time, time you're, late. you're late. That's yeah. it. I love that. Use that. That is the bus thing. Um, the other one is, uh, you know, after the show, the, the 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 band and crew that may get done before everybody else, while everybody else is finishing load out, they'll go hit a bar, you know, and forget what time it is, and then the buses roll to the next city. I do know of, of that happening to people. But then the other one, the one that terrifies me the most, man, and this is funny, is, you know, when you got to go to the bathroom, you got to go, and you got you you go to the driver. It's two thirty in the morning. Yeah. Like, man, I need a truck stop. Yeah, and and they pull into the truck stop, oh. and, and and my biggest fear is like that they forget I'm in there. It's being left, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've I know that like in the middle of the night I felt us pull up to a truck stop before, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go use this time, and I, I was like, I need to tell the driver I'm leaving the bus. Right. So I always left something memorable on their seat, like a shoe or something to make them go. Why is there a shoe? Why is there a book? Why is there something on my seat? A note? Because um, right. you go, you don't want to be at, at the truck stops of America in Des Moines at three thirty a.m. Oh, oh, I I love it when the drivers and the uh, tour managers work out a system like I was on one tour where you had to leave your tour tag on the handle right by in front of the you know you know that big handle in front of the passenger seat in the yep. cab yeah. yeah you know you had to leave your tour tag hanging on there and then he would know okay nomads in the toilet I'm gonna wait <laughs> exactly <laughs> don't go anywhere oh man but uh no, dude, bus life, you know, again, and a lot of respect to our drivers, you know, man, yes. you know very well, those people, not only the truck drivers getting our gear town to town, but a bus driver, you know, you've got 12 lives sleeping. Um, it's not just about driving safely, but it's about driving smoothly. You know, if you start driving by Braille and getting off onto the rumble strips, the right. whole bus just woke up, you know? That's right, that's right. And, and again, for a crew person that's only getting three to four hours of sleep a night tops, that's important sleep. And so having a good bus driver is a key too. Man, these things, you know, again, so many, so many important key factors that a lot of people either take for granted or just don't realize, you know, they don't realize what, it, what goes into it. You know? Man, you know, touring, touring is a wheel and there's a lot of cogs in the wheel and every one of those cogs is important. Lighting's as important as audio as a, as a bus driver, as a tour caterer, as a musician, as a band member. I mean, as an artist, like we are all out for that same, we're all trying to make a living and, right. and, and to make that wheel balance, we all need to be doing our jobs and, and keep everything smooth and in our place that we need to be. 
I love it. So you mentioned your nonprofit, and I was going to ask you about projects on the horizon. So maybe now is the perfect time to discuss that? Yeah. So uh, in 2011, I started a nonprofit with a friend of mine called the Touring Career Workshop. And we are we're an official 501c3. Um, but it came out of a need I saw of there not being human resources in the touring world. Like you and I stated a while ago, we are all our own. We're our own businesses. We're our own marketing departments, human resources. And I found myself getting a lot of people coming to me going, hey, who do you use for accounting? Uh, who do you use for retirement planning? Who do you right. use for health insurance? And it just kind of came up this brainstorm of idea of, okay, well, we're going to have a seminar once a year and we're going to bring in these guest speakers and teach people how to be their own human resources department. I love so every November we do this event. It's usually about a five to six hour event. And there's a, usually a general session with some um, keynote speakers and then there's breakout sessions and people can learn again, you know, how to file your taxes as an independent contractor, how to set up a, a 401k. But then we also, we have panels of like of spouses of wives and girlfriends that come on and talk about, how, how did they cope being on the road and how, how do they make relationships work while being on the road? I've, I've had panels come together with parents. How do you parent? I know you've got a daughter, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, how do you parent while being on the road? How can you still engage with your children? Um, so we try to hit all these human resource related topics. And so um, we do that once a year. Um, it's a big event. We do a couple other things. And then the other thing we do is we pay for counseling. We have a program we call All Access Program. And we have five counselors listed on our website, uh, touringcareerworkshop.com, under All Access. Um, and we will pay for your first two sessions with any of our counselors just because we want people, we don't want money to be an issue. If you need to go talk to someone, here's here's five people you can you can you can even do phone counseling and stuff yes okay did you say tour career or touring uh, touring touring career workshop.com workshop okay because i'm typing it in here so everybody listening touring career workshop.com yep uh Okay, it's popping up. Oh, I love it. So, Chris, I didn't even realize you had this. You said 2011. I think we were working together sometime around. That would have been right around babyface yeah. area. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. This is fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to talk to you more about maybe how we can work together with the career musician in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, again, my heart is all about, you know, again, I want people – it was, you know, it's funny. I, I had mentors, grow, you know, coming up in this industry. I talked a little bit about that earlier, but I had people that took me under their wing in the mid nineties. It taught me not only lighting, but production management. And man, one of the most heartbreaking things I started to see is as these, these folks hit their late fifties, early sixties, is they had nothing to show for their career. They were, they were broke. Um, they had burned bridges from having bad attitudes. They were physically in pain because they didn't take care of their backs or their knees or whatever. And I just started thinking like what, what things could have changed in their career early on to put them in a better spot as they near retirement. And that's the other thing behind touring for a workshop is we, we definitely try to go after the 20 somethings that are just coming in this industry and, you know, coach like, Hey, you know, take the stairs. Don't jump off the front of the stage. Yes, I know you're 22, but trust me, you'll thank me for that when you're 50 and your knees are not busted. But uh, it's also like, hey, man, start working on that 401k now. Don't now. wait till you're in your 40s. Do it now. I don't care if it's 50 bucks a month. Put something in it now to start getting planning for your retirement. Because let me tell you something, brother. It comes quicker than people think. You know that. Oh, oh you know, I'm in, the, I'm in the process of writing a book and I can't stress this enough. I'm like, holy shit. Listen, folks, there's going to be an end. We all die. And I hate yep. to be so morbid, but when you are in your late teens and 20s, 
for some reason you think you're invincible. What, yeah. you know, what is that? There's just no programming included in our DNA that tells us, hey, you better prepare, you know? You're spot on, man. You're, you're exactly right. And so, again, just getting people thinking. You know, I've learned I can't force anybody to do anything. I can't force them to start a 401k. Right. I can't force them to get counseling. But I can provide you resources and tell you, hey, if you want to talk to people, here's here's where you go. And just the hope that something triggers in somebody's head and goes, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that first step to, to set up a retirement plan or to make sure I have health insurance and, you know, those kind of things. You said something else, and it's so – Gosh, it hits home so hard, bro, because I found myself saying this to my wife. You said that people in the you know, industry can find themselves in their 50s and 60s and have nothing to show for it. So wh- whether you're crew or band, I don't care. It's the same. And here's the reason why. A lot of people, the general public might not understand that. But first, let's set some, let's set some, some, some uh, uh, rumors straight. First of all, if you work for superstars, it doesn't mean you make the same money that superstars make, number one, right? Yeah. You, you make a hell of a lot less. So yeah. if you work for a celebrity who's wealthy, it doesn't mean you're wealthy. Right. Correct. So you don't have all this expendable money. Second of all, like you said, we are our own small business entrepreneurs, basically, and we go where the work is. So it means going from gig to gig sometime, unless you can get lucky enough to land in like a Garth Brooks camp where he's had the same people on payroll for the past 35 years. Right. You know, absolutely. And it's just, and that's a rarity. That's the exception. Oh, the rule. A hundred percent exception. But yes. so you could, as a touring musician or crew person, you could look back after 20, 30 years of touring and say to your loved ones, well, I, what do I have to show for it? I have nothing, you know, and that's a really sad predicament to be in. It, it is unless you have wisdom like you just have. Yeah. Like you have wisdom and what I feel like I have and knowing that you've yes. got to leave a legacy. You've got to leave this industry better than you found it, which is exactly what you're doing, which is exactly what I'm doing. And, and you know, I, my, I, in my funeral, I want people to talk about the positive things I did for this industry and for those around me. That's and right. um, not that I was the asshole that cussed out promoters. Right. Know? So, and, and again, that's not only about the, uh, you know, passing on and your legacy, but it's about right now and getting work now is people want to work with good people. That's right, man. Okay. This is the perfect segue. How do you find, how do you define success? Um, uh, that's a, okay. I think by giving my customer, my artist, a a level product for great value and keeping my integrity um, intact. You know, doing things the right way. There you go. Um, and, and delivering value. I mean, uh, I work not only in rock genre, but I work in country and jazz and a couple other that not everybody has two hundred thousand dollars a week to spend on production. Right. So for some of my clients a few grand a week to spend on lighting, it means a lot. Making sure you are, you know, you're giving people a great value and that you're putting your heart into stuff. Um, you know, I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to see what other people thought of my success. You asked me, do you think Chris is, or Michael's successful? Like, what do you, what do you, well, how, how do you, how do you gauge that? But man, I just, again, I feel, I feel like, you know, people can look at you as, as somebody that has integrity and honesty and does people right, I think that's success. Right. Boy, that is so well said, my brother. Well said. For, for the young uh, cats coming into the biz, what would be your word of wisdom to say to them, hey, 
you know, if you do nothing else, if you haven't heard anything I've said in the past hour, do this one thing. <laughs> this, this is going to hurt some feelings, but I'm going to say it. Um, Please say it. Sometimes it's okay just to shut up and listen. Yeah. Um, as much as I love and I mentor a lot of people coming up in the industry, if they're coming up in an industry uh, that social media is very big and, and, and I look, I love social media too, but they've come up and, and like you and I, who didn't have social media until later in our lives, this is what they know. And everybody puts all their feelings and emotions out there and it's, it's become a very me world in a lot of ways. This is beyond touring and, and, and entertainment. And I would say, listen to the veterans, listen to the nomads, listen to people like me, listen to those that have been in the trenches um, we, we know you have opinions and we know that you love to share them with the world on social media, but this is about listening. And, um, there's a lot of wisdom, man. And, and, and that's something that I feel like I did well in my twenties is I listened to the veteran. I screwed up a lot too, yeah. but I listened when, yeah. when, the, when my mentors told me something, I listened. And so just, just shut up and listen sometimes. Um, I love that, man. I always yeah. say eyes and ears wide open, mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There'll be your time to, to share and to mentor. But for right now, listen and learn. This industry has evolved over the past. Look, think about what touring was in the 70s. I didn't tour then, you didn't tour then. But if you, if you read stories and you see videos and photos, that was a different industry. And we've come so far. Look, our industry right now is not all white males. It's it's people. It's 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 African American. It's um, Hispanic. It's Asian. It's 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 female. It's gay. It's straight. Right. It's atheist. It's, it's Christians. All encompassing. All inclusive. Yes. And and that's one of the things I actually love about it is man. You get on the bus. There's there's another thing we didn't talk about the bus, but you get on there. The rule I've always had is you don't talk politics or religion on a tour bus. Yes. Amen. Yes. Exactly. You don't, it doesn't look, you've got your opinions. I've got mine. You're not going to change somebody else's opinion. All you're going to do is this. Yes. And it's going to be tense and awkward. Get on there and talk about the fun stuff. Talk fun about stuff. fun. Yeah. And food and movies and music movies and the things and that the kids and the, Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but man, our, our tour buses are so diverse these days. And I'm proud of our industry and where we've come from. And, uh, and that excites me that we are not all just white dudes anymore. It's, it's a very diverse multicultural industry and I, I love that we've come to this exactly man i love that so much chris you are such a such a treasure trove of information i love it I, you know I, I geek out like i said i geek out on hearing about all the technical aspect and you know the logistics i also uh you know get so warm and fuzzy inside hearing what you just said so that's that's a beautiful thing man thank you bro thank you Dude, absolutely man i mean yeah. I love this industry. I do. And I wouldn't want to do anything else. That's been the hardest part about this pandemic is, is trying to figure out what else to do for nine months. <laughs> and, you know, you, you pour yourself into other creative things and you do what you got to do. But uh, I love, I love this industry. I wouldn't have created a nonprofit to serve this industry if I didn't love it. I love the people I've done life with. I love, you know, I, I, I was telling my wife this morning, I was like, she was telling her about the podcast I was going to be on. And, and she's like, well, tell me about Nomad. I'm like, well, Nomad and I toured on Babyface together. And uh, and I was telling her, I was like, he was in Russia with me. We went to Russia together. Oh, dude, I forgot. We were together in Russia. <laughs> Which is a whole other crazy story that I don't want to share publicly. <laughs> <laughs> we but had a blast, man. That was a blast. Fun. It was a lot of fun. Like, I went to, look, when I closed the book on my career and I'm uh, sitting on a beach somewhere, 
like doing a show in Russia with Babyface is one of those memories that you can't make that shit up. And it was awesome. Dude, I got it. Come on. I got to just tell this little bit before we close out. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember when we got to the hotel and they bring us downstairs uh, into this club, quote unquote, because we were playing right. a little tiny club. Right? I remember this. It turned out to be like a speakeasy, like a real life speakeasy. Yep. Right? You go up to the desk. There's this beautiful Russian woman signing you in and these two huge Russian guys with guns that are visible. Yeah. Right. And they, they peel back the curtain. We all walked into the elevator. All of us are like literally shaking in our boots. We go downstairs. We get out of the elevator. They peel open another thick velvet curtain into the. Now you're in like 1930s, right? Speakeasy world. It was intense, wasn't it? So intense. Like, I don't know if you remember that meal. Like, we went down there and we'd all just yes. flown from the U.S. And, and what, I was talking to Mark Miles, who had toured with us uh, uh, on that. He was at that show. We were talking the other day, and, and I remember sitting down, all of us, at a long table. Long table. Yes. No menus. They were like, this way. what do you want to eat? We're like, what do you have? It's like, no, what do you want to eat? And it was like, literally, call it out, brother. I'm going to bring you whatever you want. Dude, and literally, if you said chicken, they brought like a whole roasted rotisserie chicken. Yeah. If you said steak, the steak was like two and a half inches thick and like so, oh my God. It was so freaking amazing. It, it was amazing. It was, I mean, like, I mean, you can't make that up. Like that's just- And I gotta work. say, I gotta say, you know those clear water bottles that all the restaurants are using? You know, we have them at the house too, of course. Sure. They brought like, what, four or five of those giant ones they weren't filled with water, bro. Oh. <laughs> they were filled with ice cold, freezing cold vodka. And like good vodka. Like, oh, the best. Yeah. Oh, and, man. And before we could even sit down, we all had to take a table shot. Like they would yeah. pour, okay. And, you know, the, our liaison, his name was Robert. I remember that. Yep. And he would have a little toast. And then literally, bro, all I remember is me, Richie, Brandon, and Kevin, the guys in the band. After a while, we couldn't see straight. We had drunk. We had drank so much vodka. <laughs> Thank God we were eating, though. Right? <laughs> yeah, man. Again, that's one of those memories. Like, you can't make that up, man. Yeah. It's just, and, yeah. and I'm thankful. Look, I'm thankful for those. That's the stuff this industry has given me. You know, right. uh, lugging uh, uh, gear across the world and down the stairs into a, a speakeasy was logistically stressful, and, <laughs> and it wasn't easy. But man, I got to do a show with Babyface at a small speakeasy in Russia. Like. Yeah. Awesome. And then the next day we went to the Kremlin. So we did. like, come on. I mean, yeah, you we, can't, yeah, you can't stuff. buy that. Yeah. <laughs> no, dude, that's the good stuff right there. All right. I got to go out with some rapid fire. You ready? I'm going to do my best. Okay. Here we go. Name three tour essentials. Uh, cell phone, uh, shower shoes and uh, laptop. I got to say, okay, I'm, I'm breaking the rapid fire rules. I love shower shoes. That's a new one. I love that. I'm adding that to my list. All right. Song or band or artist that changed your life when you heard it? You're like, oh my gosh. Uh, Foo Fighters, man. I mean, just, it gave me hope in rock and roll. Love it. As entertainers, it's hard for us to be entertained sometimes. What does it for you? Binge watching uh, Netflix with my wife. Which one are you watching now? We just finished uh, Unsolved Mysteries, which I know is kind of, but I liked it. I mean, it's we just, fun. Yeah. It's I fun. Like Queen's Gambit. Well, we, Queen's Gambit was the last one. Queen's Gambit was insane, wasn't it? 
so good. My new favorite show of the world. Like it's yes. ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, right now we're on Nurse Ratchet. Love that one. Check okay. it out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, three artists on your playlist. Uh, uh, a band called Caveman out of New York City I really like. A band called Naked and Famous. They're a New Zealand band. And then, uh, again, Foo Fighters has put out a new track that, uh, that's really good. So hoping we get some more awesome stuff out of them. I know we will. Love that. We will. On long flights, like international flights or long bus rides, like those 12 to 15-hour bus rides, what do you do to keep from going insane? Ambient. <laughs> no, Ooh, I have an ambient story. <laughs> I, I'm a workaholic, so honestly, I make sure I have my laptop and I, dude, I, I, I've got a project list. I just organize files. I find, I work. I, I always it. have something to work on. Project list. I love it. I'm a database nerd. Yeah, right. We got to have yep. that stuff organized. Okay, so uh, we already covered that. Uh, your dream collaboration. Dude, you've had so many dream collaborations already. So who's left? I mean, and, and it could be dead or alive. Yeah, dead or alive, whatever. I mean, dude, I just, I would love to have worked with Elvis. I just think that would have been cool. That I mean, I'm a Tennessee boy. I just think that would have been fun. I got to say, and I'm, please, I'm not trying to drop names, but I was really, this was a surreal moment for me. Babyface was co-producing Barbra Streisand's Partners album uh, about five, six years ago with Walter A., another you know, famous producer. And they asked me to play guitar. I go in um, one of the days and I just hear um, the music for uh, Love Me Tender. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Barbara's covering Love Me Tender. But I'm thinking to myself, well, the project is called Partners, but how could she partner with, so maybe she's doing a duet with somebody else, right? Next thing I know, in the cans, I'm in the booth, and I hear Elvis's voice. Oh. And I'm playing guitar on the track, bro. Freaked me the fuck out. Like, I came home, and I told my wife, I was like, babe, I just played with Elvis. Like, <laughs> That's pretty awesome, man. Isn't that like, crazy? That's cool. Yeah, yeah so I love that. Uh, I'm, again, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying, like, no. I've been very fortunate. I'm very grateful. I do not take that for granted. That's braggable. I would brag about that. All right, All right back to rapid, because I'm terrible at this. I always go on. All right, what reminds you of home when you're out on those long tours? Uh, seeing a happy family together. Seeing uh -huh. a, seeing, a, seeing somebody at the show, a family, kids, make me miss my son, my wife. I, I like that. I like that. Uh, and what's one of your guilty pleasures? Earlier, you mentioned whiskey. So. Uh, Jack Daniels, man. And again, I, I, I'm Tennessee through and through. And like, that is my drink, uh, probably to a fault. <laughs> I, mean, I love, I love, dude, whiskey. It just, it just, yeah. when I get all worked up, it just. Yeah. yeah. And just having one or two glasses, is just is perfect. That's that perfect yep. zone, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, how did you survive on the Babyface tour if you're a Jack Daniels guy? You know the whole band was nothing but Jameson guys. <laughs> I, I, I learned I learned about Jameson. I was not super familiar with Jameson, and then all of a sudden I was like, I could do Jameson, right? So, yeah, yeah we, we used to actually uh, we used to uh, sometimes sneak into y'all's dressing room and take a couple shots before y'all got there. It's like, oh, the band isn't here yet. We have okay, Christian. okay, used to, and sometimes <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Every time, no, but yep. we had so much fun, man. Oh, uh, we it was a great tour. So you, know, you have to, you have to make sure that you put the uh, uh, proper amount of bottles on the rider, right? On the green, and, uh, <laughs> and that's my job as production manager. It's like, ah, yeah, no, we're gonna need two Jamesons tonight. Two Jamesons, yeah. right? <laughs> right. And finally, the proverbial drum roll. What would you do if you weren't a career crew person? <sighs> uh, man, I, I probably would have wound up in college 
doing advertising and not nearly as happy with the stories and memories I have right now. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, and for that, we're grateful. Yeah. No, it's, dude, this, this industry has been great to me. I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of it. I love this industry. I love the people in it. Is it always roses? No, but life isn't always roses, man. You dig in and you just, you make the best out of everything you got and enjoy the little moments. That's right. That's right. Man, amen to that, bro. Chris Lyle, thank you so much for being a guest. Absolutely. No, again, thanks for having me. I love, I love this podcast. I love what you're doing. And again, the career musician, like I'm like honored. Like I, it's like I'm an honorary musician for the day and I, I don't even know how to play a thing. So that's, that's okay. But you are, you said the right words, honorary musician. That is so true, man. Look, I don't care, you know, from the, the janitorial staff, the, uh, the cleanup staff to the lighting director, to the sound guys, the crews, the stage hands, all the way up to the lead star of the show, Taylor Swift or whomever it may be. We're all human. Absolutely. We all deserve the same respect and, 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 you know, and love and kindness, right? Completely agree, brother. I mean, that's, again, at the end of the day, it's about taking care of people, man. People come to the show and the people you're on tour with, man. It's, I mean, it's a small world, dude. That's right. And word travels fast. That's for sure. Very fast. Don't burn bridges. <laughs> Amen. Be nice. Ah, yes. We could keep going on this. With <laughs> yeah, our little one-liner one quips here, yeah. Binge previous seasons of the Career Musician Podcast and subscribe for all new episodes. Go behind the scenes with host Nomad to gain inside knowledge of entertainment business from the world's leading musicians, artists, producers, managers, and more. I'm just a nomad, nowhere man Writing the songs in this one-man band A nomad This is Nomad, host and creator of the Career Musician Podcast, and I am thoroughly stoked to be an official member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast Network is the first of its kind as an all-music-based podcast collective. Please be sure to check us out at PantheonPodcast.com for more info. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.